Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in that Bible to Acts 1. Now, I'm very excited about this sermon series we're in. It's a little uh, discombobulated, I'll go ahead and tell you right now. We started it, and then we had a special speaker last week, and now we're getting back to it, okay? And the problem is we're getting back to it, and I'm a little embarrassed to say the second sermon in the series went first. Now you're going to say, well, why did why that happen? How can we mess that up? We're Dayspring. We don't mess up. Yeah, No, we mess up all the time. That, thank you for that. Really? Ms. Rose, on the front row, to remind me, really? No, no, no. I'm just saying, why did, why did the second sermon come first? It's because I was so excited about the second sermon. Uh, but I forgot, I ought to be excited about the first sermon. So, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're, we're asking the question, what do disciples do? What do disciples do? And let's take it from the top of Acts. And so, what we did, uh, the very first sermon is, we really dealt with verses uh, 4 through 8. And we, we kind of missed the first three. So Aubrey, is there any way you could read for us the first three verses so the pastor can get back to where he belongs? With the first sermon in our sermon series, What Do Disciples Do? Would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God? Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. Lord, we pray that you'll come into this service Um, be with Pastor Matt as he speaks. Give us ears to listen, hearts to do, and um, we just thank you for your presence, Lord, and we give you all the praise. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I love that. Ears to listen, hearts to do. Listen, this is a doing faith. It says it all throughout Scripture. It's a doing faith. It's a character faith to be sure, but character eventually does something. Amen? You can't have love in your character and not have love in your actions. So that's called the fruit. So we believe in fruit here at Day Spring, and thanks so very much for reading this morning, Aubrey. The disciples had about three years or so with Jesus. Uh, some more, some less, depending on when they caught up to him. But the fact of the matter is, about three years or so, we can assume with uh, some of these guys, probably most of them. Then he was killed, then he was resurrected, and the disciples spend even more time with him. And it says so right here. Some weeks after that happened, some 40 days or so, they spend more time with Jesus after the resurrection. And boy, I would have loved to have been in on those Bible studies. I mean, I know he's gearing them up for what's going to be happening in the next 30 and 40 years of their life. He's saying, listen in, listen very carefully, you're going to need this. And then he's ascended into heaven. But y'all, I'm going to tell you, they spent time with him back then, and I think... We need to spend time with Him today in our lives. Now, 
there's something that was very special about the fact that the physical presence of Jesus was with them, and they spent time with, with that physical presence. That is great, and that's cool, and that's wonderful, and that's not what we're going to be doing. However, I think we can have just as much Jesus' impact in our lives as the disciples had with the physical Jesus, because I think Jesus was right when he said, greater things you will do. And I think we can have even a more personal relationship with him if we'll just pay attention to it. We've got to pay attention to it. That's what this sermon today is all about. Let's pay attention to that personal relationship. And it's still true. Disciples spend time with Jesus. Enjoying His presence, absorbing His lessons. We do it a bit differently without His physical presence, but nonetheless, we do it. I, uh, I heard about a book lately called Faith for Exiles, written by the Barna guys, uh, David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. And they looked at what separates, particularly young people, but I don't think this is just a young people thing. The, the study was done with young people, but I think it could, it could be true for all of us. But they did a study with young people who grew up in church and they remained active and engaged in their faith long after their teenage years. And then they also studied those who no longer were committed to core Christian beliefs and behaviors. What was the difference between these two groups of people? Those who were raised in the church and hung in there with the program, so to speak, and those who basically said, nah, I reject it and I'm not going to act that way anymore. One thing they noticed, and they called them resilient disciples. If you were a resilient disciple and you stayed with the Jesus program long after those teenage years, you experienced far greater joy and intimacy with Jesus. In other words, that was the key. Much greater intimacy with Jesus. In other words, the youth that were resilient would say this, Jesus re-energizes my life. Uh, Reading the Bible makes me feel closer to God. Listening to God is a big part of my prayer life. In other words, I'm just not talking to Him. I'm actually wanting to know what He's saying to me. And prayer does not feel like a chore, but a vibrant part of my life. I love prayer. And so that's what youth who are resilient tend to say to about a two-to-one ratio over those who weren't staying with the faith. And I just, I love the study because I think it's relevant for all of us. If you are going to be a vibrant Christian today, and you're going to be committed not just to the intellectual faith, but to the living faith, then you're going to have a personal relationship with Jesus that is evidenced by five things we're going to talk about today. Are you ready to go? Number one, you will have a daily devotional life. A daily time when you are praying and opening Scripture and just saying, Lord, I need to know your mind. I need to know your hands. I need to know your gut. But I need to know most of all you. (laughs) I want to know your face. I want to fall more in love with you today. Now, I'm going to have to tell you, if you get a daily devotional time, what you're going to notice is it's a little bit like uh, a physical relationship with someone you really like. Now, maybe a girlfriend, might be a boyfriend, might be a wife, might be a cousin, but you really like to be with them. You all know some days it's easier than others, right? Some days I really like to be around this person. And other days, you know, not so much. Nonetheless, you're committed to the relationship, right? You're committed to it. You hang in there. You push through even when it doesn't feel great. And you enjoy the times when it does feel great. 
But the whole point is that's what personal relationship is. You say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be active in my life. I want you to live in my heart because the preacher said, I'll go to heaven if I got that personal relationship. And I don't want to go to hell, that's for sure. So I want that personal relationship. Well, if you're going to have that, then you're going to have it every day. And the key to that personal relationship is a prayer life and a Bible study life every day. Stanley Jones says, I am better or worse as I pray more or less. He said one of the best things he ever learned, and you know Stanley Jones, the great missionary to to, uh, India. Stanley Jones says, one of the best things that ever happened to me was at Asbury College where I learned a a two-hour-a-day prayer habit. Now you're thinking, two hours? That's what you're going to ask for the day? Two hours? No. I'm just telling you, one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived, that was his deal. So when I went to seminary, uh, I wanted to be discipled by this guy named Al Coppage. And the Coppages were supposed to come here in March, by the way, and the coronavirus thing hit, and they never got here. Oh, by the way, they were willing. I just said, I'm not sure what's going to happen if you come, so let's just do this another year, and hopefully this is the year. But Alan Beth Coppich is going to come. I wanted to be discipled by a guy named Al Coppich. I mean, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Al. He came to my sister's wedding in Great Bend, Kansas, and, uh, and my sister says something about, you know, maybe Matt could be in Al's group like we were talking about my brother-in-law and my sister. I'm thinking, ooh, I, I caught that. Ooh, that must be something great to be in his group. So let me go, hey, you know, I, I, I'm coming to seminary someday, I said to Al Coppich. He was sitting there, I was standing. I said, I'm, I'm coming to seminary someday. He said, you are? Yeah, I am. He says, when? He says, well, uh, I've got a fifth year that I still need to do at the University of Kansas because I redshirted it a year in my track and field event. I want to go out and fulfill that year, and, and then I'll be there. He says, you know God's more important than the discus. I thought, who is this jerk? I went from, I want to be disciple team, like, who are you? God's more, are you kidding me? God's more important than the discus? Well, I knew that. But still, I was going back to the University of Kansas to throw. As it all turned out, I'm glad I did. But, you know, I look back and think, man, that would have been a cool moment if I said, yes, he is, sir. And I'm going to be in your discipleship group starting in the fall. Well, I finally did get there a year later. And guess what? First stop on campus, I went to Al Cop, just bang, 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 knocked on his door, and he didn't answer. And eventually, I, 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 I caught up with him, and Al finally says, listen, you can't be in my discipleship group. Maybe if you're found faithful, we can add you later. Oh, it just broke my heart. Some cool things happened, by the way, in another guy's discipleship group. But, but uh, and sure enough, a year later, I was in the, the Al Cop's group, and a year after that, and it's been a great blessing ever since. Having said all that, when you were part of what they called the Barnabas Foundation, that's what he called his discipleship groups, the Barnabas Foundation, you had to sign on to certain disciplines or you couldn't be in. You had to do things like memorize three verses a week. And by the way, the next meeting, they'd start off with those verses and you had to recite them as you'd memorize them. Now, three verses isn't much. But, you know, three verses times about 50 weeks it starts adding up. And, but you know, all that, I memorized the Sermon on the Mount. I just said, all right, then let's go. I'm going to get on this pony and ride. We did. I mean, I memorized all kinds of Scripture. And by the way, later, it dawned on me, maybe my children ought to be memorizing lots of Scripture too. So they memorized the Sermon on the Mount and lots of other Scripture besides because of that Al Coppage thing. So three verses a week. 
Then uh, you had to fast twice a week. You think, fast? Like not eat? You'll die. Well, no, you probably won't. Um, for centuries, Christians have fasted twice a week. Uh, the Pharisees twice fa- fasted twice a week. Then the early Christians said, well, we're not going to be like the Pharisees. And I think some people said, good, hallelujah, don't be like the Pharisees. We won't fast again. Oh, yeah, they fasted. The Pharisees fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and now the Christians fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. All they did was change the date in the week. Wednesdays and Fridays, they fasted. They said, no food. And then the early Methodists looked back and said, you know, good enough for the other Christians, good enough for us, we're not going to do it. We don't do that much anymore, do we? Anybody here fast twice a week? I see those godly hands. We need to do it. We need to get up to it. Why? Because Jesus said, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast in the Sermon on the Mount. So fasting's always been one of the basics of our disciplined life together. Well, um, to say all that, all those disciplines, and he had a long list of about 10 of them. One of them was pray and scripture study for one hour and 40 minutes a day, which is a tenth of the waking day. Oh, my goodness. I felt holy all of a sudden. I'm, I'm doing a tenth, a tithe of my waking day. I felt holy until I found out that some people were doing it a tithe of the whole day, two hours and 25 minutes a day. A tithe of your time to Jesus every day that you might grow more intimate with Him, more in love with Him, to know His ways and His will more than ever before. So at the seminary, even now, we say if you want an A in the class, you will indeed do this thing an hour every day. So we we say an hour every day in freedom and classes. But the fact of the matter is, don't think that to be a serious Christian, you have to pray two hours a day or two hours and 25, or one hour and 40. But you've got to do something. And I think the plan ought to be this. Do something profound. Do it regularly. And the whole point is that regularity across the days and the weeks and the months and the years starts having impact on your soul in a dramatic way. But the drama doesn't come any day, any single week, any single month. It comes over several years. But I want to do this thing. I want to grow. I want to be more like Him even today, even today. So Lord, help me spend time with You in prayer and in the Word. And so, that's the kind of people we want to be. This is my recommendation. Start with 15 minutes. Just start with 15 minutes. Get 15 minutes a day in all month long and then see if you can expand a little bit if you and Jesus think that's a good idea. You know, 20 minutes would be even better for our our intimate personal relationship. 25, maybe a half hour, but it's a great, it's one of the best ways to maintain a vibrant Christian witness and have abundant life in Christ. I've never known anybody who had a vibrant Christian witness, who was living the abundant life, who didn't have a daily quiet time. You say, oh, I love Jesus, I have a personal relationship with Him. Probably not, unless you're spending concentrated time with Him every day. Did you hear? Did did he just say that? Did he just doubt my relationship with Jesus? I'm just going to tell you. The disciples spent time with Jesus and he wants you to spend time with him as well. Now, I'm going to tell you the four great things about a prayer life that I think you ought to pay attention to. One is adoration. This is going to go A-C-T-S. Adoration. 
I think you ought to spend lots of time worshiping Him, and the Psalms are a great place to do that. I think you ought to spend some time in confession. Where have you fallen short in the last day or two or week? I think you ought to spend time in thanksgiving. By the way, this has been profound in my life. Every day I've been waking up in my journal and I write out three things, just three things I'm thankful for. No, I've been working out in the afternoons. You know, I woke up this morning, I, I, I did a little workout. Uh, it kind of helps me gear up for this service. I'm more energized, my brain's working. My brain's not always working, but it tends to after I work out. And so that whole thing really helps me. But the truth is, what I find out is... Uh, it's been hot lately in the afternoons. That's when I've been doing my workouts. So I worked out this. You know what I just put in just like an hour ago? What I'm thankful for today? <laughs> Cooler mornings to work out in. Amen? 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 That's just silly. No, not if you're working out the way I work out. You're grateful for cooler mornings. All good things come from the Father of lights, right? Isn't that what the Scripture says? Well, guess what? Cool's a good thing. Praise God for it. And so I just, I thank him. And then supplication, I ask him for some things. So you, your, your method doesn't have to be A-C-T-S, in other words, I'm going to do exactly that with my prayer life, but it ought to be something like that, includes all of those things. So I just want you to know how I, just as an illustration, how I spend my quiet time. I love the Psalms. I think the Psalms were the prayer book of Jesus. I think he prayed these songs I think he sang these songs. He used them on the cross. He used them in his ministry. The New Testament uses them amply. I just love the Psalter. And so I've decided in my life, in my adult life, in my last 20 years or so, I read through 5 to 15 Psalms a day. Now I do it 5 when I want to slow down a little bit and 15 when I want to speed up a bit. So right now I'm doing 15 a day. This is what I do. I look down and say, oh my goodness, today's September 6th. So I go Psalm 6, then add 10. 16, 26, 36, 46, 56, and I'll pray through all that. Did you hear what we did with the, the, for instance, Psalm 46 today. Let me tell you how I pray through the Psalter. I just started doing this. It's a week old. So can I share with you the cool thing I'm doing this week, and I, I, I bet I'll do it the rest of my life. It's so cool. I have decided these Psalm, this, would everybody affirm this is God's word? All right. Would everybody affirm that the Psalms are God's Word? All right, so I just put those Psalms into the mouth of God for me today. Now, did you get that? These Psalms go into the mouth of God for me today. So, that means i got to think through what the Psalter means and put those words into God's mouth. So, this is what we do. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Did you hear what we did this morning with that? Matt. I always put my, my name in there to make it personal. Got a personal relationship going, right? Matt, I am your refuge. And Matt, I am your strength today. Got trouble? I'm going to be your help in that trouble. Therefore, Matt, you don't have to fear. (laughs) Matt, you're pretty good at fear and worry and anxiety, but you don't have to fear. Even though the worst possible thing would happen to you today, Matt, like the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, that would be a bad day, you got to admit. Bad things are happening in the world if Mount Rainier goes into the ocean. Bad days. But even if that happens, Matt, don't fear. Though the waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with a surging, because, Matt, there's a river whose streams make me glad in my city, even in Jackson, Mississippi. 
I just go through and I personalize this, put these words in God's mouth for me today. My devotional life has exploded. Do I recommend this to you? Indeed I do. Because, you know, people all talk, I, I got a word from the Lord. And they say the dumbest thing next. Oh, man, I don't know. That may be a word from the Lord. That must just be you doing stupid thinking. And blame it on God. As long as I'm going to say I got a word from the Lord, I want to make sure it's God's word. And so I, it's just, it, I got to think through it. I got to, I got to decide, is this for me today? And then, man, it's just been a blessing. It's been a huge blessing for me. So I pray through. And then I pray through the Proverbs. Remember, it's a six, so I'll go to Proverbs 6, and I pray for what I call the freedom in nine. That's uh, my kids, my wife, uh, the woman that we, uh, that we married, we married, and the woman we're about ready to marry. I call them the freedom in nine. And I pray these Proverbs over their life. God, may we be that kind of people. And then I read through some of the New Testament, some of the Old Testament, and then... I proceed to my, what I call my bother list. You know where I'm going with this, Miss Shirley? My bother list. Here we go. Remember that story where it says she bothered and bothered and bothered the man and finally says, listen, I give up. I'm going to give her what she wants lest she wear me out. So she had a bother list with this judge and I'm going to think, hey, Jesus told that parable, teaching us how to pray. Guess what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to make me up a bother list, and I'm going to bother God about these things until they happen. And so, here we go. On about the fourth page of my Bible, I got me, if you ever want to see what's on it, just steal my Bible and look at page four. Oh, you can look at it. I don't mind you look at it. <laughs> Luke 18.5. I will give what she wants lest she wear me out. I put it right there. Luke 18.5. But I pray for stuff for my family. I pray for stuff for my ministry. I pray for things for Wesley Biblical Seminary. I pray for things in publishing. And I pray for things that are personal. And I'm going to bother God until these things come to fruition. I'm going to bother Him every day. Keep going back to Him. And back to Him. And back to Him. Because I think we all ought to have bother lists. That's how I spend my devotions. That lasts somewhere between an hour and two. Okay? Just depends on how fast I'm going through it and what I need to do next. If I got the time, I like this, slow down and enjoy it. If I got to move, I move. But I like to go through 15 Psalms, pray through a proverb, get some Old Testament, New Testament, and go to a bother list. And the Lord has been blessing my devotional life. Am I saying you need to do that? I'm not. But you got to do something. And make it work and make it happen. It's a great thing. Spend 15 minutes on a regular basis, and then expand it if you can. But intimacy with Jesus means you will have a devotional time every day. Amen? Second thing is this. We need to practice His presence. Paul says pray continually. Amen? So we ought to be praying continually, but there was a medieval, uh, it was a lay brother in a Carmelite monastery, basically. And he was in Paris, and he got a reputation for being a godly and holy man, and they noticed something about this guy. Boy, he just seemed to be always talking to the Lord. And it changed the way he conducted his life. And so, 
they decided to conduct some interviews. There's a guy that said, let me, let me, let me get to know this guy. I'm going to do some interviews, going to write some letters. I just want to know, how do you do that? How do you practice the presence of God? And I mean some incredible... Y'all ought to get the book. Write it down somewhere. Practice the presence of God. The book will probably cost you about five bucks. It'll probably take you about 45 minutes to read. And if you do what Brother Lawrence, that's the guy that wrote this stuff down, what Brother Lawrence did, then your life will be changed as well. You see, it's not enough to have a devotional life. It's not enough to have 15 minutes set apart. You've got to somehow talk to Jesus all day long. Remember, Jesus said, hey, I am with you always. So we ought to be talking to him always, including when you get cut off in traffic. And the next word you want to say, and you say instead, God, bless that person. Bless him. Help him have a great day. When you want to haul off and get frustrated because you lack patience, talk to Jesus. All day long, talk to Jesus. When you're happy, when you're sad, when you're challenged, and when things are going extremely well, talk to the Lord. This is what they... Brother Lawrence has a quote in his book that went like this. The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, by the way, he washed dishes at the monastery. That's what his job was, washing dishes. While several persons are at the same time calling for different things. By the way, anybody ever had that happen to you? Things are noisy, people are calling for you. Uh, I don't know where this happens most in your life. I bet particularly some of you moms say, Oh, I know where it happens in my life. It'll happen tomorrow morning, right? And the children will be yelling, and I'll be trying to get something else done, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, ah, Jesus, help me! Brother Lawrence says, when several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. That takes practice. That's why it's called practice. That takes practice to get to that point. He said this, there's no greater lifestyle and no greater happiness than that of having a continual conversation with God. Now, people are going to say, yeah, that's what I do. I don't do the first thing, but I do that thing. You probably don't if you don't do the first thing. The first thing tunes you up to do the second thing, all right? You have a daily devotional time, that gears you up to practice the presence of God. Some people want to say, well, you know, I don't do that thing. By the way, if you follow Jesus, you probably should. From everything we understand Jesus to be about, he followed the rules and customs of his day, the Jewish rules and customs. That means Jesus prayed three times a day. Three times a day. He stopped whatever he was doing, put on his prayer shawl, looked towards the temple, or actually got to the temple, and he prayed a long list of benedictions. Then he would add his bother list to that, and that would have been the stuff of Jesus' prayer life three times a day. So don't say, I want to be like Jesus. I don't see Jesus having a devotional time. Oh, please reread the Gospels. As was his custom. Jesus going off and praying this way. Three times a day, as far as we know, was the Jewish custom. He was following those customs as far as we can tell. I'm going to tell you, it's a precious thing to have a daily devotional time. Then to practice his presence, the third thing is this. If you want a personal relationship with Jesus, and if you want to pray regularly, if you want to be changed by Christ, you need to be with the body of Christ. Interesting that he calls the gathered saints the body of Christ. Wow! The body, the physical body of Christ. Gathered here this morning in Dayspring. 
Look around, y'all. Look for Jesus. You'll find him. Just look around. Why? Because Jesus lives in us. That resurrected Jesus now lives in us to give us the resurrection possibilities of our life, the body of Christ. Jesus says, where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Wow! So if you want a personal relationship with Jesus, you cannot say, hey, you know, I think it's pretty cool to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church. And more people are saying that today than have ever said it before in American history because of the coronavirus. And we've got to utterly reject that and say, in as much as I can get back to church, I'm going to physically get back to church because obviously that's what Jesus meant when he said, assemble together. I get the fact that some people don't want to be here yet. But I also get the fact that they're beginning to say one out of five churches are going to close down because of this and you're going to have a whole bunch of people that never come back because they got used to being away. And y'all, Jesus says you need to gather together if you want a relationship with me because where two or three are gathered, I will be there in their midst and you don't want to miss me in the midst. I remember first time it happened to me. I, I had been going for a long time to a, a liberal institutional church. And uh, I don't know what they were gathered in. I think it was the name of religion. Gathered in the name of, hey, we've always done this before. And good, respectable people in this town do this thing. I don't know what they were gathering in the name of, but it couldn't have been Jesus because I did not feel any part of Jesus in that church. I knew it. And I, I'm, I'm not a very smart guy. Pretty dim, actually. But in seventh grade, I felt like I had to leave. Now, that's crazy. I'm a freedman. Freedomans are church-going people. Freedomans are still church-going people. But I said to Mom, can't do it. I don't see Jesus there. I don't feel Jesus there. Then I'll talk about the blood or the cross or anything. That they ought to be, I'm not going back. And I'm going to tell you, my, my mom has incredible wisdom in that moment. Because what she should have done was slap me upside the head and said, let's go. We're going back to that church. Exactly what I would have done with my kids. Good, let's go. <laughs> but she, I think she had divine wisdom in the moment. And truth is, had she done that, I would have never returned to the church of Jesus Christ in my adulthood. Never. What she did was, you got to do something. In about three weeks from that point, I was at a house church. My dad's best friend had a house church. I was in that living room. And two or three were gathered in the name and the authority and the beauty of Jesus. And in that living room at 1211 Holland, Great Bend, Kansas, 67530, in that that place, I met Jesus. And I developed a personal relationship with Jesus in that place. Been walking with Him ever since. Y'all... There is power in getting physically together with other people in the name of Jesus. The fourth thing is, and you don't want to miss this one, compassionate ministry. Now, you say, well, compassionate? Man, wait, wait, wait. What's that have to do with having a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, I'm just going to have to read the whole thing to you. So could you just sit back a moment, maybe even close your eyes if you want to, and just think in terms of the judgment seat of Christ. 
Got it? When the Son of Man comes in all His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on His right, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. Sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous are going to say, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When, Lord? When do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then I also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, which had been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Whoa, 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 slow down. Lord, when? When did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you. Then, then, he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I find it fascinating. The question wasn't asked. Did you pray a sinner's prayer? Now, by the way, I think it's a great thing to pray, a sinner's prayer. I hope everybody here has prayed one. To admit you're a sinner and you need Jesus. It's amazing that it wasn't said, hey, you don't know the Ten Commandments. Or anybody here memorize the Beatitudes. But Jesus puts them in very physical terms, in very ministry terms, in very compassionate ministry terms, and He says... I was hungry, and as much as you fed me, you fed me. Even as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Now, that's a personal relationship with Jesus. Is that the whole aspect of it? No, that's why we have five points this morning. Every one of these are important, but this is too. You need to have ministry to Jesus in the least of these. To have a full Lord personal relationship. And I'm thinking it's pretty important because of that passage right there. And most Christians are nowhere close to living out that passage for Jesus today. I'd be very careful to say I have a personal relationship with Jesus and you don't have a daily quiet time. I'd be very careful to say I have a relationship with Jesus and you don't practice His presence. I'd be very careful to say I have a relationship with Jesus and somehow... Some way you have totally discounted being with the body of Christ. 
They'd be very careful to say, I have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, but I don't care much for him in the poor, in the oppressed, in the disenfranchised. Y'all, if you're going to hang out with Jesus, the bare minimum of our faith suggests these things. If you want a personal relationship with Jesus, follow Him. Amen. Amen and amen. Will you please stand? Lord Jesus, bless Dayspring Community Church and bless our visitors today to be all the people, God, you ever imagined that we could be. Bless us that we might be that blessing in places, Lord, that desperately need you outside of these four walls. Hard places, dark places, uh, struggling places, hurting places, diseased places. Lord, help us run to the sound of the pain. Because when we do, you already told us today, you'll be there already. We love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Dayspring.